Alright ladies and gentlemen, today on the People's Sports SB and the Dawson's Untitled Cow Football Podcast. The People versus the NCAA versus the Rule of Law and Common Sense is in session. How do your Saturdays feel? We are here on a off-season week five or six, unofficially by our count. We are here to finally do the episode that we've talked about. It's a perfect time to do it, about 24 hours removed from some breaking news uh, regarding the NCAA and inevitability, if, if you will, uh, the timing of it all with the NCAA video game coming out and court rulings going left and right in favor of, or I guess against the NCAA, in favor of anybody who's not the NCAA. We are here, and uh, we want to talk about the state of college football, the legality, the end of the NCAA as we know it, um, it'll be a slow demise, potentially just because everything takes long when it comes to the legal process in the NCAA. But this is definitely the end of the NCAA as we know it. I just want to talk about all those ramifications. So we are here on a Saturday as I'm watching Duke, the only team I care about basketball-wise, lose to Wake Forest. It's probably official now. Um, what's going on, man? How are, we, how are we feeling about this episode? Uh, we just did a little quick catch-up. How are we feeling diving into this episode? What are your thoughts going into a year where college football and college sports in general will be forever changed, probably following the 20, yeah, this ruling of the 2023-24 season? What are your thoughts going into this episode? What are you most excited about? I mean, I think it's it's long overdue. I'm really excited about the potential benefits for student athletes, um, and just us. And I think the the thing that's changed I think, the most the last probably ten or fifteen years is that public opinion seems to be swaying towards the student athlete. Yep, and that. Um, there's like a moral imperative now to ensure that it's treated fairly. And so unlike what it was, what it has been, this this whole argue, line of argumentation that says student athletes are amateurs, they're students first, like that's been time and time again proven not in line with the reality of being a student athlete on the collegiate level. And so I'm glad that um, we are finally approaching a place where we have just more common sense regulation or lack thereof. And then finally, I'm excited that NCAA is getting more exposure for all the inconsistency, all of the bad faith arguments, and honestly, like, their inability to follow their own rules. Follow and enforce their own rules. Right? Like, or or set rules that make sense or have any type of foresight at all or even want to and i think a lot of it is what you that you, you touched on a lot of good points i think a lot of it is the, the argument i always felt the argument or pe- anyone who felt 
that college athletes uh, shouldn't be paid. I just uh, paid. I just felt that that was a disingenuous argument. I didn't feel like anyone truly had a good. I I never heard a good argument as to why college sports generating revenue athletes or just in general shouldn't be paid like i it always the argument always became when we talked about football and basketball players specifically people would always bring up other sports which we're going to talk about how that's all going to get impacted during all of this right because the irony of it is the whole fear was what about all these other sports but the way things are going, these other sports are more in danger than ever before. The non-generating men's specifically, because they don't have Title IX, the non-generate revenue generating men's college sports are in danger uh, because the NCAA is in danger. And it's just the irony of it all was the the argument for not paying players was because of, you know, it, the, the fairness of it and how you determine who gets what and it, it 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 was all just nonsensical arguments that don't exist anywhere else other than kind of sports but college sports specifically no other way in sector of life do people look at work and payment and and siding with management and the man and pro or anti-union and anti-labor that's such a sports thing because everywhere else, no one thinks like that. It's weird. Yeah, it is weird. And I think because of the amount of money, people lose sight of the principle. Like, it doesn't actually matter how much money an NBA player makes. This overarching principle of, hey, should someone at their job have to take a pay cut? get paid below what they're worth to accommodate another coworker. When we say it like that, or we ask you, would you do that? Right. The answer is always no. Right. But because we're talking about millions of dollars, it's always, oh, well, you know, they're rich anyway. Like, that they make cap. enough. Yeah, that they make enough. That there's suddenly a cap. The idea, literally, it's in the in the sport, and I get you know, that we say competitive balance, but the idea that there is a cap, a limit, a salary cap, or these caps, it's a, it's a, it's a rare place where we do it, where you cannot make more than this, despite the fact that your employer would willingly play, pay you more than that if the, if there was no such cap as you see in baseball or other areas of business where there is no cap and CEOs or executives of other companies where there is not a salary cap to what you could pay them. If you want the best of the best, you have to pay them uh, higher than what the next willing person is willing to pay. So the idea that we it, it that sports has always had just a built-in ceiling to where you are not allowed to even earn more than this in and of itself already has right it's built into the the fabric of the sport. And on a college level it was even and just for the players yes. mind you because the owners don't have revenue Correct. or coaches. <laughs> or coaches. Let let's be clear. So like we end up pro, talking about in pro sports. Yeah, exactly. So we end up talking about the millions athletes are making instead of the billions that the owners are making. Yeah, there's no cap on ownership. There's no cap on coaching and CEO, I mean, uh, GMs and those other positions, which, um, you know, that 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 side of it is interesting. But 
I remember a real quick story before we get into this, because we're going to go through as much of the legality without getting too boring and too litigious. We still have to, you know, this is not, we're not a legal podcast and there's a lot of legal going on, but I'll try to keep it as light as possible. I remember just the NCAA meeting, sitting through that. You sit through it every year. It's a compliance meeting every year. Um, bunch of paperwork that you have to sign. The same people, uh, you know, I remember every four years, it would be a different person, but one of two of the same people would come, compliance officer, come and talk to you. Same speech, same stuff, same paperwork. And the most jarring thing to me was the fact that you couldn't, two things. One, you couldn't work. I don't know if people knew that or know that, but you're not allowed to work a job that exceeds a certain amount of money. I think it was like, I don't want to, I don't want to be completely incorrect on this, but there was absolutely like, you could not have a full-time job as an NCAA full-time athlete. Like it just, you weren't allowed to, to do that F separate from your sport. Um, that to me was always like you, as you know, we were, a division three team a lot less compliance officers and people resources dedicated to watching what we did but people would always have to take these cash jobs or jobs that aren't you're not on an official payroll or whatever because you're technically not allowed to like you could work on school job that's it because you're it, it's a weird that was a weird thing that was built in that's like why are we prohibited from earning money elsewhere that automatically weird the second thing was that you could not accept any gift over the value of i think five dollars from anybody who was not a direct member of your or direct or tertiary member of your family which meant that if my roommate's dad came to visit us during a game if he wanted to take us to get food technically that's an ncaa violation he's not allowed to buy us a meal or me a meal technically that was not allowed so there was this thing that was just like this is insane this makes no this this is in place strictly so that kids are in it it read like all right so if kids have no power you, uh, all the power is this organization this ncaa you know phantom organization they have all the power that's what signing this basically says and how we've evolved from that to where we are now i love it it is all pretty crazy to me to your earlier um, your earlier point, I could buy some of the arguments around amateurism and about um, this being about school and their scholars first. If there wasn't a bunch of money changing hands, mm -hmm. like this, this was defensible when Bobby Bowden was making $40,000 in 1978. Yeah, I was like 30, 40 years ago, yeah. So when we start talking about millions of dollars that coaches are making, and we start talking about players flying across the country or taking buses for these games, missing class, because the other thing that's, that's brazen about these claims about students first is you're not in control of your schedule. They make you take majors and classes in alignment with um, what accommodates your sports schedule. 
So you can't just say we're athletes first when it benefits you. I think that's to your point from before. Speaks the disingenuous nature of all of this stuff. Yeah. No, it's it's disingenuous, I think, is the word that we're going to hear throughout a lot of this because it, it's just been see-through hollow arguments for so long that are all coming crashing down, I think, before everybody's eyes at this point. So I want to try and go somewhat, it's not exactly chronological, but I want to think of it as like a set of dominoes and kind of how we got here and where we really are. And I think the first entry point is to talk about Charlie Baker, the current president of the NCAA, who came in for famously not good Mark Emmert, like just famously kind of the face of all the terrible things, I guess, about the NCAA. I feel like that face is Mark Emmert. Um, I feel like he leaned into and loved the idea of we're screwing these kids and there's nothing nobody can do about it. Like he just kind of played that role really well. Um, Charlie Baker's job was to come in and like kind of be a forward thinker and essentially try and somewhat save the NCAA from itself and from its inevitable future. And he tried to his credit, Lord help him. He tried the suggestion of the subdivision that he wanted to try, which was something that almost happened to the NCAA before they suggested it happened to himself. Um, yeah, oh, I got you. Um, he basically went ahead and suggested, hey, how about we separate this, you know, revenue generating stuff, i.e. football, basketball, sports. We separate it. Uh, we can allow the payers to be directly paid to come and play and negotiate and all that, but it's going to be through trust funds and specifically through these, uh, you know, our athletic departments and we'll, we'll like, we'll allow you to get paid, but we'll tell you who it is and there'll be a ceiling, a cap, right? Salary cap is, I think it was like 50,000 or something or something like there was a cap on how much you're going to be able to make, blah, blah, blah. Uh, separate from NIL, I believe, was the idea of this because we talked about this last week. NIL is a bonus. NIL is not, this is what you deserve for playing here when you consider the money that the television contracts are not worth. So NIL is separate. This idea was kind of like trying to save themselves from the inevitable, which is they're inevitably going to lose any battle to try to keep the current model or amateurism or control on things. And his suggestion of let's pay them to play essentially just got confirmed, but not the way that he, you know, he being Charlie Baker, not the way that he wanted it. Uh, thanks to this whole Tennessee case. So I did just catch you up on this, right? So you're, we talked about Nico, and I had to look up the pronunciation from his name. It's Ia Malava. Ia Malava. Yeah, Ia Malava. Really hard name to say. But we're going to call him Rico. We're going to call him Light Skin Rico for the cases of our show. He was a really highly sought-after recruit. Spirey or Spirey or Spire, the collective, Tennessee collective, apparently private private jet, wine the dine them, flew him out, paid for him to come there. I don't think 
anybody really was paying attention to that until he played in the bowl game and he looked really good and he's one of the uh, names to watch next year and Tennessee's collective has been doing really well and so now they're getting investigated by the NCAA. NCAA starts their investigation literally before it could even start. Tennessee bucks back, scathing letter would essentially get the hell out of here, right? Like get the hell out of here with your who can they talk to and when and how this is like they essentially told the NCAA, you lost control of this thing a long time ago. Who are you to come up in here and, and say how it should go now? Like we're we're done with this. That's essentially the tone of the letter, right? I agree with it a hundred percent, right? Which then NCAA bucks back goes to court, federal judge in Tennessee currently put an injunction in place that says the NCAA, you, you guys cannot enforce your own NIL rules right now. Like they are actually, we're looking into, it's not permanent, but based on what we've been presented so far with all the evidence, like you guys can't enforce your rules. Your rules are ridiculous. You're already in trouble for a bunch of other antitrust stuff that we'll get into. You got to get the hell out of here with that. So essentially that injunction says you could, these collectives, free for all, open open season, pay the players, however much you want, whenever you want, talk to them whenever, pay them whatever. It's like it's open season in that way, which is good, but also bad because now like agents are going to run amok. People are, it's, it's good and bad because you need some kind of control. It's good because people could get money. So that's where we are, entry point. Your thoughts, because I don't want to do too much talking just straight off the rip. There's so much here to unpack. Um, I think that the overarching issue that the NCAA never wrapped their heads around and like articulately and compellingly communicated is what are y'all trying to accomplish? Is it no money's changing hands? Is it controlling how the money flows? Is it making sure everything is above board and above ground? Is it is it hundred percent enforcement and compliance of the things you have on paper? Like they're just they're dibbling and dabbling in different arguments and reasons and approaches. And I think part of the reason why they're unable to enforce their own rules is because there's too many of them. Yeah. And they're not cohesive. So because we have all these random rules about what people can do and why it doesn't make sense for um the same rule that stops a booster from you know in his most extreme case paying for abortions in miami to be punishing the coach who took his player out for dinner after mm -hmm. his grandmother's funeral like, mm -hmm. it, just, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense right so i'm glad all this is out in the open because now like the actual lawyers can pick it apart and say it, it doesn't make sense from a legal perspective either yeah so from that, I mean, that just being the one size fits all idea of punishment, right? From those two extremes, from one extreme of can't just really can't just take your can't just take a player out to get a meal. Can't just hook somebody up with the yeah, with a with a with an outfit or something very basic to help them out, which there are those cases. Those cases, I would say, way out more the what people think it is, which is the abortion at miami or the wild you know 
the just some of the wild outlandish sides of boosting that you hear that obviously exists but i think a lot what the rules that are in place prevent a lot more of is just the simple being able to hook someone up with something very easily and helpfully uh without it being like a violation right a, a friend of a, a, a someone on the team this is a really common thing where a parent of a teammate is for extensive purposes becomes like a, as close as a guardian maybe they live closer or whatever the parent situation of another teammate they'll be super close and it'd be like when i come into town for a game i take my son and you know his teammate frank or whoever out also to dinner every and like that is not allowed right technically not allowed so yeah it, it's it's as small as that and then it's as big as you're making billions of dollars and these kids don't get any of it we need to look into that as well so it's as it's as small as that and it's as big as that so from a legal standpoint to jump into that i said it last week i want to say it again we need to all thank ed o'bannon who kind of started this whole thing with this EA Sports lawsuit, with the lawsuit against the game that we all love so much, um, you know, the video games that we love so much, the college video games, but him suing them for their name, image, and likeness really kicked this all off in terms of looking into the fairness of using, not just in the video games, but commercials, uh, on the games and selling the property and the, the media rights themselves like what the players are worth and their value in all of this while currently the only thing they were being provided was the same education as somebody who has a math scholarship or somebody who's on a rowing scholarship whose uh, sport does not generate revenue. So Ed O'Bannon was like the guy who I feel like Ed O'Bannon crawled so that the Alton versus the NCAA case could run, right? That's the, the Supreme Court ruling the famous, the one thing Supreme Court justices all agree on, 9-0, so just sweep ruling of get the hell out of here with your not being, these players allowed to get like free market money in NIL. Like, stop it. You, you guys gotta stop. So that was the Alton case that kind of came off the back of the Ed O'Bannon case. It was solved before the same judge, who's also seeing two other cases right now um, in the antitrust vein against the NCAA. So those two cases, say, yeah. Let me say quickly within that too. Those are also both other examples of the NCAA not following its own rules. So I, I remember, I'm pretty sure it was Jay Billis around the time this case case first came out. So it was mm -hmm. big on like, oh, these are all, these are just numbers. We cannot compensate people. You know, these are just like random players, even though it's clear that these players resembled the likenesses of these players that they purported to represent, right? Yes. So, um, I think it was Jay Billis who screen recorded him on the NCAA website. And on the website where you can actually buy merchandise, it's NCAA approved. He in the search bar typed in Johnny Menzel and up popped all these number two jerseys for Texas A&M. Right. So, someone is in fact keeping track of this and you are actually monetizing this because otherwise there wouldn't be any record of that and it'd just be a number, right? So, mm -hmm. again, they're not following their own rules or buying their own brand. And that's another issue is just the inherent hypocrisy. Yeah. They're, I mean, the, the I mean, they're, not to get sidetracked, but they're a uh, nonprofit, tax-free organization. I wonder, like, do people realize that part of it too? Like, they're not some, 
I mean, they are this corporate giant, but they also get that part of it too. They get to hide behind the nonprofit. We're here just to do a good service. We don't pay taxes. Like that's also who they are. So that's, it's the hypocrisy runs just deep throughout all of this. Um, but yeah, like you said, those, that all had to change. It was Johnny, like Johnny Manziel. I think you go from an N.O. Bannon lawsuit to now, and you just think about some of the players, because we're going to talk about some of these lawsuits. So I talk about back suing, but you just think, I think Johnny Manziel was a tipping point with the, the autographing, the jerseys. I think Cam Newton, I think of Tim Tebow. I just think of some of these players who at their peak of fame, you could argue we're at a level of or greater than some of the more famous NFL players of their time at that time. Like that's how big that this got. And yeah, the NCAA was hiding behind. That's not really Johnny Manziel. It's quarterback number two, who happens to also be his exact same height, weight from the same hometown, uh, all that other similarities, but it's not actually him. Right. So, and you weren't selling number two Texas A&M jerseys before, whenever right. 2009. Right. right. And then all of a sudden, the number two Texas A&M jersey is selling millions and millions and millions. And um, that, I mean, Johnny Manziel was the not the messenger for it, but his story was like, I I saw what the merch store was before and what it was after. And they were telling me I couldn't get money off my own jersey. It's like, get the hell out of here. Right. So, like, we might, people might not like Johnny Manziel, but the message behind that was like, I don't see how you could argue with that. To be sitting in a school watching your jersey fly off the racks, but you can't actually, you know, sign it, sell it, make it, you're not allowed to do anything in the realm of making money from it was insane. Well, this is especially relevant because even as we talk about Johnny Menzel, and this is this comes up with everyone else who aren't stars also. But even for the stars, for some of them, this is it. Like, this is yeah. their for, peak for earning years. For almost all of, for almost all of yeah. them who aren't, for, like, most aren't going to be pro. So, yeah. So it's this or nothing. And so we're not just talking about, oh... Adrian Peterson could got more money, but he's a eight-time All-Pro anyway. Now, some of these folks, college is going to be it for them. Yeah, no, that's I, that's the biggest part of why you have to allow. I mean, Johnny Manziel is a perfect example of that, right? Nothing beyond his Texas A&M fame was ever at. Would he have ever been at a higher earning level in terms of talking about that, you know, NIL opportunity and like millions of millions of dollars at 18. I feel like just people are part of us. This I always felt like is it's why people didn't, the people who truly don't like this is it's a jealousy thing. It's because at 18, you didn't make, no one was offering you millions of dollars for your services for anything. And it just makes you jealous to see and remind people of that maybe subconsciously if, if it were, but yeah, I, I just think it's, it's under, and and that's still not being enough because it should be revenue shoot revenue revenue share pensions and those other things that come with employment that we'll talk about quickly. I want yeah, to not to just... mention that this is 
a violent and dangerous game. Yeah. There's only a certain amount of hits in your body. Yeah. Insurance, long-term health benefits, those types of things. I want to quickly read just the statement right now that this is, I think, one of the big dominoes as I get into these next cases. This was the statement from the Tennessee judge ruling uh, against the uh, NIL rules in place. It's effective immediately. The NCAA is restrained and enjoined from enforcing the NCAA interim NIL policy. So I love that right right away. You are you're not allowed to enforce your rule, right? Starting start right there. The NCAA bylaws or any other order authority to the extent such authority prohibits student athletes from negotiating compensation for NIL with any third party entity, including but not limited to boosters or a collective of boosters until the full and final decision on the merit in this instant action. So again, not a final decision. The NCAA could appeal it. Uh, they won't because it will cost them money. They need every cent that they can have right now. We'll talk about why. Um, but that is important because that is somewhat of a precedent as there's already precedent set as we talk about a couple other cases, the first of which Ohio versus the NCAA. Okay. So this first case, it's a coalition of uh, attorney generals. I think David Yost is the lead general. He is from Ohio, hence the title of the, the uh, suit there. They're challenging for immediately, and this was uh, already adjudicated, but this was important because of the next part of this, right? This was part of an antitrust ruling. This is all antitrust law and basically suppressing wages and not allowing people to earn and work and get a fair uh, wage for their work is what this is all about. So this case allowed the multiple time transfer rule people to immediately be instated, to not have to sit out a year, not just for the first time, but if you want to transfer again until just this year, just this most recent cycle, you would have had to sit out a year. Now you have multiple time transfer immediate eligibility temporarily again in place. So between the end of the 2023-2024 academic calendar, if you transferred at that time, but for that time, so for this next upcoming season, for fall or winter sports, spring, obviously you had, you were good, you could do it still, um, then you were eligible, right? It's, it's, it's a multiple time transfer. It's part of the antitrust. And again, the judges looking at this, lawyers, people looking at this and saying, not fair you can't like it was already some shit that y'all were making them sit out a year trying to suppress their ability and negotiation and maneuverability at the, in that way um so multiple time transfers got instated it's important for this year coming up as you saw a bunch of people who had transferred already especially on the football side are transferred again and are going to play this season and we're going to see what you know a lot of players who have now played at three or four different schools for the first time in the, you know, the history of college football, it's going to really just kind of be like following free agency in the off season. Who, who signed who? Do you think it's going to level out at some point? Like, I think right now the incentive is to like find your school, explore the transfer portal because it's a novelty. Mm -hmm. But I was wondering if you think it's going uh, uh, like to a... naturally subside without intervention. Um, I think to an extent, I feel like we talked about, so right now, or as of last season, the makeup of the rosters were 80% high school transfers who have not jumped schools, 20% uh, 
or 80, sorry, 80% players were commits from their original high school commit. 20% were transfer portals, right? That was the makeup as of last season. Um, I feel like at what you're going to see is at the top of the sport, those people who have like a, a, a Cam Ward, a Keon Coleman, uh, a Caleb Williams, like these, the, the players who are at the very top and will have those types of options and will be courted. And I think, I don't think that'll subside. I think that is kind of the future. But maybe I think you'll see less of what I would call the middle class of recruits jumping every year or two uh, just because if once the pay-for-play field, and not every school is going to have the same collective and budget, we, we understand that. But I just think once the opportunities are less uh, constrained at more places, I think it'll even the talent out. And so you'll see it kind of resettle to how it was, you know, there's fewer people jumping because everyone, or there will be more places for people to have quote unquote, their best opportunity. Thus why, tra why transfer as frequently, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm naive in that thinking. No, that's interesting too. I wonder if NAL collectives will increasingly make money or deals contingent upon staying a certain amount of time. And if they don't, you probably eventually have to weigh. If I'm at a bigger school and I'm getting paid more money as part of the NIL, but I'm not playing, what is waiting for playing time versus less money worth to me? Right. Have there be more factors to consider? Yeah. Uh, it I guess it depends on how much money, and that's the difference between this and the pros still, as much as people are going to want to say, how is this different than professional football? Professional football, a conversation of like, well, am I going to get an opportunity to play? That's not like a conversation, right? Only quarterbacks, because there's only one of them, is that really a conversation? In football and in, in, in the pros, if you're drafted in the first three to four rounds, you're expected to play pretty much right away. If not year one, by year two. So this isn't like a will I have playing time situation. There's only 22 starters and, you know, however many, 11 or so backups, 13, 14 backups. So in the pros, there is the the the, the, the conversations are strictly financial, right? There, no one's having a conversation about uh, how much playing time am I going to get? It's just like, what's the best deal? Whereas it's, you know, maybe sometimes people want to play for winners or want a bigger role. Maybe you do see that, but a lot of times it, we're, we're having more or like schematic stuff sometimes too. So, yeah. Sometimes. And that's usually players who have afforded themselves that opportunity because they've made enough money already. Very rarely do you see a fringe of the roster guy be like, you know what? I'm going to take less money potentially less of a I don't role, know about this three but four we're gonna, but we're gonna win more <laughs> <laughs> yeah like that's that's usually those guys are like where's the the, the the they're gonna pay me how much like yo so that I just feel like that conversation the playing time thing is still a college thing where it's just like 
if you're a good high school player, you've been good all your life, you've been courted all your life, you've got playing time all your life, you were courted to the school you go to, and if you get there and all of a sudden you're not playing, it's the first time that you've ever experienced being on a team and not playing. And this might be part of the conversation we had about the AAU culture. Maybe this is the football side of the AAU culture uh, or just you know, the transfer portal. Maybe Maybe some of that can be attributed to your reaction or your way of dealing with not starting right away or not playing as much as you want right away, as opposed to waiting another year, uh, trying to earn it or whatever. Like it's just be like, Nope. Other places now, not talking about the business point. Let's say you could make money at both places here. Uh, the playing time conversation is one where if you don't get playing time right away, I'm out of here. That because of the transfer portal is a new tool that these players have. And on one side, I love that they have that power. The other side of me is like, does that encourage quitting or giving up too easily in certain cases? Like, I don't want to sound like that guy, but isn't there somewhat of a, well, I'll just go some, and I, look, I get it in terms of like, if you want to just play, I'm going to go somewhere that's going to afford me the opportunity to play. Um, But we that assumes that everyone who transfers is going to these situations that are better and they're playing more. And that's not true, right? There's plenty of people transferring and they're sitting behind another five-star just at a different school. And they didn't know that's how it was going to happen, but that's how it might end up happening. So I just, that's my, I guess, kind of both sides of the coin of argument of, of about the border. I didn't talk about this briefly in another episode, but one of the things I hope comes from this, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts because you were closer to this than I was in school. I'm hoping it means that coaches are devoting more effort to investing in the culture of their program, especially as it relates to recruiting the people that are already on your roster. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll see, I hope we'll see Fewer and fewer coaches that abuse their players, treat them like property. Um, and it's like, are not about better relationships because now I'm not beholden to you. You're not in control of my future anymore the same way that you were before. Yeah. So I hope that this will help bring about a different generation of coach that is about actually creating an environment where People want to stay. Mm-hmm. You know they don't have to anymore. I think that's what it has to oh. be. Right? Sorry, we go, go ahead. Let me cut you off. No, I'm done. I said, said I hope. Okay. I hope that's yeah, what yeah. happens. No, I think, I think that's what it has to be. And I can just speak on playing D3. You have two things in the way of that were more similar to, I guess, what the modern D1 transfer portal is now. You could just go to another school right away and play. The next, there is no sitting out, right? You could even go. You could go whether you go to another D three, a D two, or D one. Coming from uh, the D three level, there is no sitting out a year, so you can immediately. Or for, you, or for not giving money, I can just quit. That's that <laughs> I was gonna say. That, that I was gonna say the one half is that right is that if you really want to go somewhere else to play, you can. The other half is we're not on scholarship. I don't have to do this. And like, uh, and, and and for a football player who's on a team who doesn't like his coach, 
you can't quit. You're on scholarship. If you if you're not on the if you are not on the team, you don't have your scholarship. You can't. You're not a student like that. You don't have a D three. So it's like this is a choice, bro. Like and there's so every year we would come to camp with fifteen to twenty more players than we knew would actually end up on the roster at the end of the year because at least fifteen to people would either quit or leave or just not want to. And that's not, it's less, it's too, it's some culture. It's some just like, wow, football is hard. And this, we got to do this every day and school, like waking up early, lift, school, practice, do it again. Like that, just some people are just like, I'm, this is not for me. I just rather would be a college student. Some people go elsewhere, play otherwhere else. Don't, you know, it's sometimes it's a coach or a culture or a scheme or a playing time. But yeah, that I mean, I could definitely say that that then incentivizes you need to be you need to be in charge still, but you need to be more of an ally or, uh, you know, the term player coach sometimes gets demeaned. But the idea behind that is just like you you need to be good at knowing which buttons to press when, how to relate to your players, when to go hard, when to take it a little easy, when to let your foot off the gas, like like just knowing the pulse and 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 being in tune with your team and less this is how we do it this like you need to still set a culture um but you know i, I just read something about matt rule and his just the second rule and the approach there in nebraska second year approach in nebraska and him talking about the difference between year one and year two is in the second year when you have a bunch of guys that this isn't new that they understand what the expectations are. They understand what it's going to be that you can now actually start to set your culture as opposed to, and maybe this is part of the portal challenge when you're just cycling through the portal or if you're flipping rosters more frequently now, it is you're more in that new phase more often of introducing guys to a culture as opposed to if you have guys of classes who stay two and three years they know what it is next year is we don't have to reset the culture we just have to see who are the new players who's stepping into these new positions and let's go from there so that's always we always talk about the culture conversation it's a delicate life of a coach right to be need to be the authoritarian but you also want your players to genuinely like you and want to play for you and that's a difficult balance sometimes it's also worth mentioning that this is an important conversation development because all the rules we're talking about as it relates to players, coaches have no such rule. Right. So coaches can kind of come and go as they please. Yes, yeah. it has disparate impact on assistants and their families, et cetera, but they have free reign. Coaches can leave and in the middle of the season. Coaches leave. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and yeah. that like, actually hurts players oftentimes. For sure. For sure. Ray D B. He was all state in Florida, five nine, uh, one eighty. His coach got his coach left for another job. His head coach is a defensive guy. Mm -hmm. Coach also a defensive guy. He likes long corners. Yeah. So then so you're my cousin who was like, Well, they're big playmakers and leaders. Yep. Put him on the bench. Yep. That happens a lot. That happens a lot. I mean, that's a this is now the maybe what people see is a balancing of the playing field of that with the player side of things being able to now, okay, well, I'll go somewhere where I'm more valued 
since sometimes you are brought somewhere by someone who did value you. And then a year later, two years later, that guy's gone. Um, that I mean, that's that's my part of a large part of my like recruiting story was the coach who recruited me there was at the time he recruited me to play receiver. He was the receiver coach. By the time I got there, uh, my freshman year, he was no longer the receivers coach, which made sense considering he was a defensive guy his whole career. Like, I don't know how he ended up coaching receivers at the time. But by the time I get there, he's not the receiver coach. By the time I'm done with my career, like, he, he, is, he is since gone. There's a whole class of people who are recruited by certain people who aren't there anymore. And so you just see, yeah, like, uh, you just see the factions within teams sometimes of – who was recruited by which, which regime, which coach, especially when coaches are changing so quickly. Now it's going to be kind of factions of who was at this school before versus who were the transfers and ingratiating them into the team. Well, and who sets the culture? And, yeah, right. And like, the current When a transfer comes, and that's, uh, that's what I was going to say, the dynamic of the locker room now, when transfers come in and if they are getting – favorable treatment right off the bat or someone's losing a spot generally like they're coveted it makes you feel like so as a college player every freshman class that comes in you look at as who is there anyone here trying to replace me that's who you're competing against in terms of keeping your spot um obviously the better the freshman class the better you are as a team but you're always looking at your position like who's coming for my spot from this freshman class now it's that plus, like not just the blue chips coming in, but these other grown, fully four-year, three-year careers already, accomplishments at these other places coming in. And are they going to get favorable treatment? Like they've just been courted in a way that you maybe kind of were to stay there, but there's that, there's jobs being lost. So that, I mean, it's just the, it, it's a... Uh, it's an interesting balance and it's less, again, it's still not the pros. There's money involved, but it's still not the pros who know this is a business. This is cutthroat. They will cut you on a, on a Tuesday after the game. We know this, we know how it goes. Like the, the NFL players get that the college kids it's, you're still a kid. I always call them college, like say kids. Cause it's true, man. Like at that age, no matter how grown you look and feel and can be at times, you're still very much a kid and young and like yeah i don't i don't want to lose sight of that i want to get to one other of my favorite there's a lot of lawsuits i want to get to one other one that i think is the most important one real quick how familiar are you with the house versus the ncaa and not the house but it's uh the person's name is grant house so house versus ncaa uh describe it and yeah i'm familiar with most of them but some of the there's so many there are a lot <laughs> there are the I, think, me I think I there, are, there are seven to nine potentially i forget how many are antitrust this is what I'll, I'll tell you why i think this one is the most intriguing one to me so it's a federal lawsuit uh grant house is a swimmer from arizona state and he is seeking damages back paid from 2016 and forward for athletes who were unable to earn nil interesting uh important but the big juicy one here is he's also seeking the revenue from the ncaa from their media rights sponsors so he's directly targeting the ncaa's revenue here 
um, and saying that they were owed pieces of all of that television money based off of, you know, their sports, essentially, right? Even And even the swimmer to his, like, some of those are those matches get on ESPNU. Uh, there, there is a there. There are negotiations done for those properties. There are ads sold during those times. Like, Somebody this, is getting this paid. Is, this is all business, right? So, like, I know people are like, "Oh, he swims. Oh, they, she's a volleyball player. She's she, she they, they that's the cross country team." They're, these are all proper like ESPN. It, if if you could probably watch any sport that you want on ESPN Plus at this point, if it's a college sport, like if there's a college sport, ESPN Plus probably has it, and they sell ads during it. So, like you said, someone's getting paid. The big one here is targeting the NCAA's money because this was granted. Uh, let me just make sure. Yep, this was granted class action status. This is big. There's over fourteen thousand athletes currently. Uh, a part of the class action lawsuit, probably that number has grown since the last time it was reported, or it can continue to grow. But again, anyone from 2016 or anyone who was denied these NIL opportunities and since the money exploded, that 2016 year is very important in terms of the television rights money. Um, so it's 14,000 athletes targeting that. Legal experts predict if judges rule the way, and I believe this is the same judge, if I'm not mistaken, I believe this is being heard in front of the same judge who heard the Ed O'Bannon and Alton case in uh, the Northern District of California. That judge is overseeing this trial as well. If it goes the way that all these other trials have gone, which means an L for the NCAA, it could bankrupt the NCAA because the class action status, all those athletes, the amount of money that we're talking about here could be between three and four billion dollars. And the NCAA has money, but they don't have three, four billion dollars to just be losing in lawsuits money. It would fold them. It would cripple them. They would have to probably go away. And that would then change the landscape of how college sports as a whole are operated and run. So House versus NCAA it is a January 2025 trial date that seems like forever away. It's just a year, and they're less than a year. But that is the the, the ticking clock of, of doom for the NCAA, January 2025, when that trial starts. will probably be a long trial, but still. Um, that is the thing that could lead to a slow, bleeding death of the NCAA. So... That's why I find it to be the most interesting case. Targeting the media rights, the television money, where all the big, big, big money at the top of this game is, that's the most fascinating element of this to me. Yeah, we could probably do a whole episode, probably even two. One, what should happen if the NCAA dissolves mm -hmm. fast or slow? And then another one on, we think it's likely that will happen. If it really dissolves, I think both are really intriguing. One, sort of like our imagination, but the other was just practical. What's, yeah. what's the um, likely outcome? Um, yeah, it's going to, one thing we can all agree on is it's going to happen, right? The end of the NCAA is, it's here. Um, so like you said, the question is, what do we think versus what should or what we would like to happen versus what is likely to happen, I think is very interesting. 
Um, but that that case, there's also Chuba Hubbard. Chuba Hubbard has a case or is a lead plaintiff on another class action lawsuit that is very similar to that house case. Um, so one would imagine, however, one goes impacts the other. So it's a it's slightly different. I think the Chuba Hubbard case um, is targeting the Alton payments. So the uh, the NIL back payments for athletes who were unable to earn um, NIL money. From collective, uh, you know, from their time playing, and the house case again targets that, but also speaks on the television money. So those two cases very similarly tied. Um, there's another lawsuit that's not against the NCAA. I mean, the, this one is Johnson versus the NCAA, so that one is. Um, why did I highlight this one? Oh, this is the employment one, Johnson versus the NCAA. So just real briefly. Um, Johnson versus the NCAA is a fed another federal lawsuit. Ralph Johnson, Villanova football player, he's arguing that the athletes should be um, seen as employees, which is the dreaded the dreaded e word for the NCAA is employees, because that would mean they could collectively bargain. It would mean potential union. It would mean benefits, pensions, those types of things, uh, because that's what employees are titled to. So that is a scary word for them. There uh, was a similar court ruling in 16 and 19 against a, a similar complaint was filed as what Johnson filed in 16 and 19 that they should be employees right those there have been two similar lawsuits prior to them that were dismissed at the time this lawsuit however Ralph Johnson has made it to the third circuit court of appeals this is where we get real litigious here he's made it to the third circuit court of appeals and has gotten to orally plea his case. So in other words, his case was not dismissed this time based on the precedent of the prior two rulings, which means a judge, or at least the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, were willing to hear out the argument this time around, not dismiss it based off precedent, which basically means everyone's like waking up to what the hell has been going on here with the NCAA? Like, what? what's the NCAA been doing? What's this about their antitrust shit? So that one's important because... That again, employment. Um, this one, this one's got kind of gross. This is a report I saw in the Athletic. Justin Williams has a great piece in the Athletic that came out a couple months ago about this, and it mentioned that in this case, the NCAA. This is how desperate they are, and I want to stop talking about the NCAA after this and end with, I guess, the college football playoff stuff, which is NCAA adjacent. But the NCAA, here's how desperate they are in the in their fight to keep college players from being employees. They have reportedly cited a case that cited the 13th Amendment as precedent. For those who don't know what the 13th Amendment is, the 13th Amendment states that slavery in the United States is illegal unless it's punishment for a crime therefore making slavery legal for incarcerated criminals, basically. Now we're going to lose, so we might as well go down swinging. So they, they, they're we're like, go hell Mary, hell Mary. How about that? They're like, well, wait, but the 13th Amendment. People already hate us. Y'all aren't paying the prisoners. Why should we have to pay these kids? Like, that's that's where the NCAA has arrived when it comes to not wanting to make them employees. They're like, wait a minute. Incarcerated felons should be employees before these college kids now. So that's where that's where we are with the NCAA. This is a, that's reported, obviously. The that this is an argument that uh, 
within the courtrooms at the the NCAA cited a case that cited the 13th Amendment. I want to be clear, they themselves did not say what about the 13th Amendment, but they did say what about that case which was ruled in favor of so-and-so because of what it says in the 13th Amendment. So, you know, I'm just saying they're real, real desperate. They, like you said, there's like PR at this point. I, no one likes us. Let's just win this however we can legally, right? Like, let's just win the legal battle here. We got to save ourselves. So that's, I'm done with the NCAA. If anybody, that's what, that's all you need to know about the NCAA, that right there, right? They will cite whatever they need to. They will bring up slavery and uh, mass incarceration, imprisonment for uh, uh, an out or a hopefully that's that's the that's their what about Chicago when it comes to uh, gun violence arguments. That's the NCAA's what about black on black crime is what about the incarcerated felons though. So shout out to you, NCAA. Well, this is like you know that they're. I mean, if this is true, I think even if it's not, we know where they are. They're just shook because mm-hmm. these movies really don't come down favorably. It opens up the floodgates. Yeah. So then where, where are the limits now? USC Louisville can resume their lawsuit and say, y'all unfairly stripped us of a national championship because of these violations. Mm-hmm. Reggie Bush can sue. Any mm-hmm. athlete that had a potential career in athletics ended because something happened in college, I can sue for Y'all didn't protect me. Y'all didn't give me the proper health care that I need. And truly, over the course of time, talking about Thousands of athletes that, that decide to sue. And it really will be the death of the NCAA. But yeah, this is this is the time. Hold yeah, that's, stops. that's why they're going to fold. Fixers. <laughs> yeah. They're going to fold because they can't afford to, like you said, if they lose some of the, we're already talking about three and four billion dollars on the lines with the lawsuits that we know about, let alone what else could then open up uh, if some of these rulings come down, what that then says about their liability for other things so that's why i would just be like yeah they're gonna have to fold there what there won't be an ncaa soon because like they just they, they can't withstand all of this uh not to, like i didn't get too deep into this but there's a title nine element to all of this which states yeah title nine for the women's sports it just states that the academic any academic institution has to provide non-discriminatory equal opportunities for both for women, the same opportunities that the men's have. So there's a lawsuit against the University of Oregon right now. It's Schroeder versus the University of Oregon. There's 32 uh, combined beach volleyball and uh, rowing student uh, student athletes there who are suing the university, claiming that they practice in public parks don't really have changing rooms, have to use public restrooms. There are no stands for fans, anything like that. And meanwhile, and this was just what they, you know, they wanted to catch headlines and and wanted just to drive home the difference. So I'm going to point it out too. They're like, meanwhile, the Oregon football players have Ferrari leather seats personalized with their names on them in every locker. <laughs> and personal, you know, hot tubs and like and they're just they're talking about the disparities between the two programs at a university like Oregon where we know your money is Nike money like in theory if you wanted to you your whole sports program could be the fly sports program in the world because your money is endless um so the the title nine element of this as all these legal battles play out 
You have to keep yeah, an eye. Especially stark at schools like South Carolina and Stanford, where their women's basketball teams are they're the drivers outperforming these other sports. Yeah, and yet the, they still the, have worse amenities. Yeah, they're the drivers of all of this. So when it comes to talking NIL and these revenues, like the the the, uh, the a share of the revenue um, and your television network and what what people are worth, like. We know college football's first. We know men's basketball second. Very close third and maybe second down the road soon, sooner than people think is women's basketball. Women's volleyball numbers are very, very high as well. Their softball tournament also does amazing. So I'm trying to ignore the people who are just sexist so they don't like women's sports, but the people who tried to talk about the financial side and the 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 numbers and the viewership and it's been very it's it's clearly proven the argument that they've been used against women's sports has been to not put it on tv so you could or to rarely put it on tv or make it hard to find so you could say the numbers were bad so you could justify not putting it on tv whereas what they found out is as soon as you make it accessible and cover it like you do the men's side or any other game everyone watches it it does crazy numbers and there it's it's a revenue driver in a lot of these schools because the exposure just needed to be put there in a way that it was on the men's side of some of these other games. So just the title nine. I just found out this week that the NCAA only recently allowed women's college basketball to use the, the final four. Monitor. Yeah. The final four. Yeah. The was wild. Last year or two years ago, I think was the first year they could not say March madness. It was the women's tournament. It was the NCAA women's uh, tournament or, yeah, women's college basketball championship. Not to be confused with the real tournament. Do not, do not say March Madness. They are totally different. No way could you possibly say women's March Madness not allowed. Yeah, that was a very recent thing. Um, and again, Title IX is in the legal battles of all these cases versus the NCAA. It's just something to keep an eye on because it – the equal opportunities in both sports means the women's sports are protected in a way that like if you're a men's swimmer or men's soccer or men's you know, volleyball or any other sport that's more on the man side, like those are the sports that are in trouble if and when the NCAA goes away because those are the ones that would then risk becoming like club, whatever club level is, because they're not driving revenue. They're not protected. Title nine, you know, title nine will help the non-revenue women's sports. And then the women's sports that are driving revenue will be a part of whatever this league is that's separate from the, whatever the future NCAA is. So, you know, it's, um, it's a lot of court, proceedings and rulings that have to come down that'll eventually ship and change the way that this all looks. But the theme throughout all of it is the NCAA is this outdated, slow, but also it's not like they're just like dumb and, oh, we don't know what we're doing. They have intentionally tried to keep things the way that it is for a very long time. And everyone else yeah, they're, they're just they're just wrong <laughs> yeah and everyone else is now like all right stop it stop doing that now including all nine supreme court judges are like stop it now stop being unconstitutional and so it's just up to the lawyers to hash it out and get us to where we're ultimately going to go and like you said maybe we'll do a separate episode 
on what the new NCAA looks like. But let's hit quickly some other things before we wrap. Let's start with the college football playoff committee approving the new format for college football playoffs, which will be 12 teams only for two years because they're already talking about let's add more teams, more money, more money, more greed, more games. Let's get 14 or maybe 16. It's like we just – we didn't but even – what about we, final we, exams we, and missing we class? We didn't whoa, even – Whoa, whoa, whoa. What about player safety? Yeah. We didn't even ratify – that's not, to be fair, the NCAA claimed to care about those things. This isn't the NCAA now. This is college football committee and ESPN and people who are money. They don't care about that. They are like, let's get 14 games. And 16 It's like, we didn't even ratify 12 yet and figure out how that's going to work before we're already like, maybe we should go to 16. Maybe we should just have a 64-team college football tournament. Um, but – but they are going to do... they also know they know the price is going up. So they yeah, want to price, squeeze yeah. as much as they can now exactly. with this current price. They're like, look, we're doing 12 teams now, but this is the price is the going price up. Price of the soon. brick going up. Price of the brick going up real soon. Real soon. 12 teams, five plus seven model. How it's gonna work is this five automatic bids, seven at large bids. Your five automatic bids will be the five highest ranked conference champions. Your seven at large will be the seven highest ranked teams after those five automatic qualifiers. A lot of things interesting about this, not the least of which Notre Dame could go undefeated, beat every team in the world, and they would automatically be the five seed because they don't play in a conference so they can't get any higher than five. That's where I want to start. How do you feel about that? I mean, I'm, I'm fine with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of have to go right for that to happen. But if your name, quote, earns it, great. So now, that, I guess that's what I, well, that's what I want to say. Let's just uh, paint a picture. Notre Dame, number one team in the country all year in the AP polls and in the college football polls. But when it's time to seed in the playoffs, it doesn't matter because one through four automatically goes to the conference champion, the number one overall team in the country. You're not a conference champion. You get the five seed and have to play extra games. That, and again, it's the rare situation with one team that's not a conference. But it just, you know, I don't know. There might be more teams coming up soon that won't be in conferences. I just thought it was an interesting uh well, little, then, little then don't qualifier. be. Like, this is also fully in Notre Dame's control. They could be in a conference. They're choosing not to for their own reason. That's fine. But this system is clearly preferencing teams in conferences. So I think that's that's fine. Like, as long as they're consistent with this line of logic and structure, go for it. You want to choose your conferences? It, force it. It won't change anything. I find it... It's, yeah, I mean, look, the conferences are the ones who are deciding all this. The board is a bunch of people from conferences. So obviously they want to incentivize conferences uh, as they stand today. The next time they have conversations about what this looks like or anytime they change the structure, that the whole conference thing is going to be, I, that's what conferences look like the next time we talk about this is just going to be interesting because I just think, where it doesn't okay so it that to me doesn't change anything basically like or not doesn't change anything 
that's that supports my argument for why the committee needed to like go out with a splash because now there is no quote unquote suspense in who's in. We're gonna know after Championship Saturday who five of the teams are, and then I guess you'll tune in to see the bottom there yeah, who who rakes out the the, the following next highest rankings. But um, yeah, I mean, fighting fighting about seating is decidedly less controversial than you not going at all. Yeah. Um. Well, part of the whole on the conference discussion, the Pac-12 have members on the committee despite having two teams. They don't have an automatic bid. That I again, like I guess that's it's just like that's on you for being left behind, not in a conference. Um, but it's a weird, it's a weird the format just being we'll see. Uh let's give it a season. I um yeah so my I, I think, think the, what's the thing the that point, sucks about what's, it what's the point oh, of what's what's the point of expanding to tw- are you expanding it? I mean, yes, you're expanding it in that there's more teams, but I just feel like this is less of what I thought the point was going to be. Like, I, I I guess it's like, all right, auto bids, and I guess that's what they do in the NCAA tournament. Do they want to mirror that to an extent? If you win your conference championship, you're automatically in type of thing. Um I don't know. I just I, I I feel like I would like for it to have been and maybe I'm in the minority here. Like the point of opening it to more teams was yeah, let's have it subject to more discussion. Like that that to me was the point I thought that's what they were going for because otherwise you would leave it at less teams. Because it's still going to be the same four teams anyway, is it not? Like, do we do we think oh, the twelfth? Do we think the twelfth best team? Like, because like that, I thought that's why we we're doing it. Because I don't think that we're doing it. We're doing it for more games and money. But no one believes that the twelfth ranked team is going to win a national championship. So we weren't opening it up in the name of competition and a lot. You know, maybe we'll get new champions because that's not. I don't think that that's going to happen. So I thought while we were opening it up to twelve teams was so that we would have a variety of 12 different teams or at least maybe some level of variety of who is in the playoff this year. But if you do it this way, which is the five conference champions and seven at large, that's basically, I said this like at some point last year when they said they're going to expand it, it's still going to be the same 10 teams and maybe you'll rotate the, the last two spots. But we're going to generally be talking about the same teams here every year. Yeah, and I think that's less the committee's fault and more just that's the reality of college football. Like, we can more or less tell you who's going to be in that field anyway. I think, for me, it was a move about competition at the end of the day. We don't have to debate anymore whether this spot should go to Ohio State or TCU. We can just say, these are the teams. Lace them up. And prove it. And yeah, of course, will we still end up with, let's say, Michigan, 
Georgia, Alabama most years, probably. But just like the NCAA men's basketball tournament, a 16 never beat a one until they did. So it is going to happen where a 12 seed goes on the road and knocks off Georgia. So I think the parity that exists between college football isn't going to be fixed by this new format, but it also wasn't intended to. It's just going to reflect the parity that exists and just provide more opportunities for these other types of teams to at least be able to compete. That's my that's my take on it. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I agree with a lot of that. I think it gives us maybe different matchups leading up to a championship. I just the idea of an automatic bid, and maybe it, maybe I'm talking out both sides of my mouth here. Maybe I'm contradicting myself, but the idea of an automatic bid means that a team could just get hot and or just win a, win their championship game, which maybe maybe the way conferences are set up going forward, you're not going to have a three loss team playing in a championship, but sometimes you do have that. Um, and they won. So they're in now, which is okay. That's what happened this year. And I was, I wasn't a fan of it. And maybe it's not the exact same replica, but Alabama beat Georgia. So Alabama got in and Georgia went from the number one team for most of the year to six. It just fell out of the ranking because they lost to Alabama. And the playoff made it the decision. They made the decision in that case that we we think that these are what the four best teams are. Whereas next year, there will be no decision. Whoever wins the SEC is in. Just automatically in. Even though in this season, I was like, you could make a case Alabama shouldn't be in even though they won the SEC, you can make case Texas shouldn't, or you could have conversations about teams not making, you know, not, not, not making it or not, not shooting, should have they, or should not, they have got in. Now we're just going to say, okay, you said a team should never drop out of the top five. I was top four. Yeah. Top five. They're undefeated all year. Number one. And, lose and then, the and then lose. Game. Right. So they, so, so in this instance, right. In the, new, in the new format, I they they would not drop out of the twelve, obviously. But now in that new format, whoever beat them is automatically in. Maybe not always. Again, like it's very rarely is it like a lower loss, but sometimes. And then you could say they earned it. They won their championship. They earned it. They should automatically get in. I guess maybe my biggest beef is not that they're in, is that they get one of the higher seeds, and that now have to play fewer games. Because they, and and unless, like, are they, I thought what we were going to do is at the end of the year, let's look at the sample of all these teams and let's pick the best 12. I didn't think what we were going to do is at the end of the year, we have five teams that are definitely in. And then we have these seven teams that the rankings that we've voted on put them in. So th that's it. That's just this is what we're going to do. And I felt like if we had a discussion about who were the 12 best teams, you could have better seating. You could have a better idea of who really, like, okay, you won your conference championship, like they do in the NCAA tournament. doesn't mean you're a freaking two seed or three. You don't just get to get your favorable side of the bracket because you were 500 all year or whatever, and this is in basketball terms. But, like, you don't, you don't 
win the bracket or get a get get a top four, top three seed because you won your conference championship, you just get an automatic bid. You might be a 13 seed, 12 seed, but you're in the dance. So I guess my beef is the conference winners automatically top five seed as opposed to automatic bid. Yes. Yeah, automatic in somewhere. Automatic in. Yeah, that's, that's fair. But like automatically top five, automatically you get the home field, don't have to play the extra. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. Like I thought the whole point of this was we have more games now. We have more teams. Let's really take a big sample. Because if we had 12 teams this year, I think I think the committee, like let's say the same committee was in charge this year, they had 12 teams. I think they maybe put Georgia like four, Alabama five. They both get in. Right, but maybe maybe they don't just go like we have to figure out a way to like justify Alabama being in and Georgia completely being out of the picture, right? Whereas if it's a twelve teamer, maybe Georgia goes from one to four, right, or one to five, and Alabama four. But it's just like I I I like the idea that we are going to have a conversation about twelve teams, not you win the Big Twelve. You're the three seed or the two seed. Or, yeah, like I, I just thought it was going to be a little bit more. Um, let's try and let's let's try and scramble it up a little bit because I just think in this the way you have it now, like you said, we'll see. Maybe there's upsets. I just like you have to factor in there's road elements now. You're going on the road to play a football game late in the year. I just think it's it's different than a football uh, basketball neutral site NCAA basketball tournament game late in the year. It's, you know, might be closer to one school, but the court, the site, it's a mutual site versus you got to go to, you know, Alabama and win a game or you have to now go to Ohio State and win a game. Just I'm, I'm interested to see how it plays out. I'm not against it. Total, I just thought it was interesting that they locked in specifically on this tournament on this style proceeding no I, I hear that i have a related and similar beef which is one of the things i would have wanted is for them to more clearly articulate what their position is on best versus most deserving mm-hmm. because which we, this still, new format yeah, we still don't have. doesn't really address that. It just right. pushes it down the road a little bit. We're not going to be talking about three versus four versus five anymore. Now it's going to be 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Yeah, so like, who are we should, getting in with? Louisville, yeah. Auburn, Ole Miss, like, you know, those, those tier teams. Mm-hmm. He's like, here's an example. So it won't be as much of an uproar, but for those schools it will be. So yeah. how are we going to decide? That's I think that's my other issue with it. You're locking so by locking in your conference winners in those five spots that you're now saying, okay, six through twelve. Like, how are you determining the quote unquote ranking order of six through twelve? Is it is it is it AP? Is it the like? Are we just doing college football? Uh, playoff rankings the way that you did in the in the old days like based off that format that we still don't know exactly what it is where you could just see teams however you want in which case 6 through 12 will just be like whatever up to the discretion of 
of a of the committee based off of of still we don't know. So that's I feel like that's why if you just do twelve teams, best twelve, seed them. We could then have a discuss. We could have plenty of discussions, but it's just like at least if we knew our objective here at the end of the year is to take the what what we believe whoever the we is are the twelve best teams and seed them in order one through twelve. That at least we would all know what they're trying to do. Which to your point now, we don't know what six through twelve and why thirteen, fourteen, and so on necessarily get left off based on these rankings we just have to assume maybe it's strength of schedule maybe it's what they think the height of their team could be maybe it's when they lost like we just have to play the game that we played when it was just four teams and so it's like so you're like verifying what five of these teams are no questions asked no argument no objection needed did they win a conference championship yes we are going to seed them in order of what they are ranked and even that might have be up for discussion because what if you have three conference champions? They're all eleven and one. What's again? What who who? What rankings are we using to say who's the best one of those? Is it computer polls? Is it AP? Is it so? It's still just like more objective. We still don't know. Like it's still more subjective, and I don't like that you're locking in teams into seeding before you know what those who those teams are. You're just saying they're they're champions of a conference. Right. We don't know. Like this year, you just told a champion of a conference, you're not good enough to even play in the college football champion, despite being undefeated in the champion of a conference. But next year you're saying champion of a conference, you're locked into a top five slot. Don't even worry about it. So I just it's a drastic shift is is all. And it's unpredictable. Cause I, I would even I would be less concerned if this was, again, predictable, cumulative, based on the entire body of work. But the fact that they every week blow it up and pick from scratch. Yeah. That's how we get situations where the number one team all year all of a sudden winds up at number six. Right. Because you just, people woke up on Sunday morning and said, oh, I feel differently about this team. How are you supposed to prepare for that? How are you yeah. supposed to account for that in any way? So there's just there's no it's just too much. It's too much right now. They need more consistency, I think, and more transparency around how all this happens because we're going to run into the same problems eventually. And part of why I'm like, I, uh, it should mostly be fun and games, as it is. But part of why I'm like this stuff matters is because seven point eight billion dollars. That's why it matters. Is because you guys just attached so much money in these payouts to these schools, these conferences i.e. down the road these players like that's that's all part of the lens that i'm looking at this through so it matters in that sense because you guys are it's it you're putting a lot of money and paying out this isn't wrestling where it's just like everyone's getting paid what they're getting paid because we negotiate it and the outcome of this match or whatever it's great it's like wrestling but it's the real competition and you guys only pay winners. And so there needs to be more of a rubric or something that can be tracked and followed. Whether we know it or these schools internally and coaches and them know it, somebody needs to know it when you're talking about payouts and the upwards of hundreds of millions of dollars for winners 
and losers and bowl seedings and rankings. And if you get two extra games at the end of the year versus one, and if you host it at your campus versus if you don't, all these things, it's just all the dollar signs that are attached to it. And I just feel like the flimsiness of the decision makers, i.e. the committee in some of these instances, they're just like, and I know it's players from, they try to make it an unbiased committee representative of what college football is. But, you know, we've just seen decisions in the past that have had financial implications that it's only going to get exacerbated as more money comes into the sport. And now there's more teams being let in, but that also means it opens the room for more teams to feel snubbed than ever before. Right. So. And we didn't even talk about the other folks that are impacted coaches, coaching salaries, but even beyond coaches, mm -hmm. I read something the other week that said the city of Tuscaloosa oh, yeah. earns seven figures every home game Alabama plays. Yeah, they're the economy. In that, adding games. In that they're city. like impacts the whole economies of, yeah. of areas. Yeah, they're the economy. And that's that's Tuscaloosa. And there's a lot of other places like you know, like like a like a Penn State or a college, you know, college station. Um Texas A&M, yeah, Texas Hotels. Yeah, there's, like all there, there are economies that run around this. And yeah, so you're, yeah, but beyond the team, beyond the coaches and the staff, people who work at those restaurants and those hotels and at the, you know, rental car companies and the, like, yeah, the airport, the, the like all, you know, these people who, who, who are making livings off of that or off of these economies, like it, yeah, it does matter. Uh, it's big, it's big business. That's why we talk about getting these players a part of the the business of this, but it's big business. And um, I, I'm interested the first year to see how it goes. You see, they're already talking about 14 and 16 teams. Uh, like eventually I'm sure they will expand it. Um, the fact that it was four for so long the four, the fact that they did four for 10 years is amazing. Um, so I'm sure it'll go from 12 to more in no time. And We'll see where we go from there, but uh, that's I, I, that, that's about all I got. Other than Notre Dame, since I mentioned Notre Dame, they uh, they officially opted into the NCAA video game because as an independent, not part of these conferences, who EA Sports strikes the deal with. Um, so again, Notre Dame teaching everyone how to do business. Um, I on the note, I want to end on this video game though, real quick, because I was on. In the comment section, somebody posted something about the video game. It, it was a confirmation. It was a post about like Lee Corso. Um, I'm sorry, Kerr Herbstreit will confirm to do the voice for the NCAA video game. And I wrote in the comments, cool. Is he also doing it for $600 and a copy of the video game? Because that's what the compensation for the players uh, who are in the game is. It's $600 and a copy of the video game. That's a real, it's a real report. And I, I was mostly joking, but also just Gee, trying, to, trying, to, trying to point out the, you know, mass hypocrisy in what's going on there. And I don't know how many of these people are real versus bots just put on the Internet to stir to stir up conversation and disorder. But the amount of people are just like, no, because he's actually doing like voice work for the game and like. He's doing more work than the players, and like the, amount, the amount of people who are going riding, going to bat <laughs> for Kurt Herstreet, and I was like, uh, I didn't say anything because I don't go back and forth on comments. But in my head, I'm like, so like y'all, you guys want to play NCAA football where it's just super authentic Kurt Herstreet commentary, but we can't use any of the schools, none of the players. It's uh, freaking 
Tech University versus State quarterback number 99. Like, y'all want that more than y'all want, like, the game to be actually about the players. Like, that, the amount of riding for, you don't understand, like, he's doing more. And, like, they, he actually had to do, like, get, get, get the hell out. So that's why I'm like, I can't, I don't know how much of that is genuine, but I do know, obviously, that there are people who, that's their view toward the players in general. And that just was like, that brings it home for me. I think that's the perfect way to wrap this episode. It's just like, let that be a reminder, folks, that there are people out there who think that Kurt Herbstreit should be like, whatever he's compensated for his work as a video game broadcast announcer voice, don't worry about that. He deserved all of it. The players, $600 and a copy of the game is enough. Do not ask for more. There are people out there who believe that. Another friendly reminder that this is all built upon college football players. There are no bowls. There are no deals. There is no media without the game. So you can't value these other periphery things over the actual product, which is the players. Not to make players commodities, but they very much are treated like commodities. So well, if we're going to talk about this and use yeah. that kind of language, we need to make sure we value them appropriately. And the, I think the best way or the easiest way to like paint the picture of someone is college football is the second biggest show in the history. Of, it's the second biggest show in the world. The people who appear on that show are the players. So imagine Game of Thrones or, you know, whatever the biggest show is now. I don't know what the biggest, just imagine whatever your favorite show is. Imagine you watch that, does numbers, does streaming numbers, does sales, all. So imagine all people buy merch, all that. And the main character of said show is not getting paid by HBO or by AE or by uh, AMC or who, like just, just, do, just doing it uh, because they get to eat three meals a day on the set. Uh, they they get their time, you know. They 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 get food while they're there. They get a free place to stay while they're shooting. Everything's paid for while they're shooting the movie. But after the movie comes out and they're done, like they don't get none of the residuals. They don't get paid for it. That's the end of that. Like that's essentially what arguing for everyone else being cool, getting money, except for the people responsible for the actual product that is being sold, which is the game. Like I'm not like like you said, players aren't commodities. The commodity is college football. The football itself is the players. If you take people playing the sport away from the game, Jimbo Fisher, $70 million, and Mario Cristobal, and Kurt Herbstreak, and all these people, like you said, on the periphery who get all this money, like, what? where is their money? Where are we pay, With what money are we paying them if people aren't showing up and tuning in to watch games? So it's all about the games. It's why the players are the bottom of this whole labor pyramid and, and not being paid and it's been an injustice for far too long we were trying to correct it we said jay billis's name in the beginning he's been at the forefront of talking about this pushing back on the ncaa for years uh pointing out their hypocrisy and he's a you know a lawyer who went to duke who is the exact type of person who the NCAA hates when they come out. And play basketball them. from time to time. And, and, if yeah, I remember correctly. Yeah, was a was a high level basketball player, also a lawyer. The exact like worst enemy of the NCAA is a 
lawyer who was an athlete who knows exactly what this all is, who points out their hypocrisy at every turn. So just, you know, everyone is lining up, not everyone. There's still those people who are like, this is out of control. We need to stop this. Do we need rules and parameters? Yes. Do But when people say it's out of control, we need to stop this, what they generally have been referring to all this year is these players getting money needs to stop, right? That's the translation for what Wild Wild West and this is out of control. They don't mean like I'm concerned that these players are getting raw deals here. What they mean is I, I lost all my power and the players have a lot of it. I don't like it. That's what a lot of just between the lines talk is. I'm sorry. But we'll end there. And what we will do next week, I think I think I want to do the NCAA football since we talked about the video game. I think we should do the draft of we should draft, we should do two teams. You we you and I should draft our all-time greatest or favorite NCAA video game players. So ranging from 2002 for me, I didn't I realized it came out before that, but the first one I played on PlayStation 2 was 2002. So I could Who's go on the cover of that one. That was Chris Winky. That was the first yeah, one I remember. Sure was. So I could go from Chris Winky's cover. I can almost do. Wow. So it went Chris Winky, Joey Harrington, Carson Palmer, Larry Fitzgerald, the old school mm -hmm. one, the old school one with Desmond on the front. <laughs> then it went 07 was Reggie Bush. Jared Zabransky cover wasn't there. No, Reggie. Yeah, that was Jared Zabransky 08, Reggie Bush 07, Jared Zabransky 08. Oh, nine was Matt There's Ryan. There's also a year where you could start. They started stopped. like having regional ones. Yeah, oh, nine was the regional one because that was Matt Ryan was on where I was at in the Northeast was the Matt Ryan one. But that was the one that had like, I think it was, um, I forget. There was an Alabama one. There was a USC, I think. Uh, uh, Mark Ingram? Uh, yeah, it might have been Mark Ingram. I think it was like Mark Ingram, Matt Ryan. Um, maybe like Matt Barkley for the West Coast one. But you're right, it was a regional one. But the last, I, I want to go Barkley from... Matt Barkley, make it. Or somebody from USC. <laughs> somebody from USC who wore a David Booty, like what? <laughs> I swear I saw a USC one with somebody wearing six for USC. Like who? Mark Sanchez. Was it Sorry. Mark Sanchez? Yeah, yeah, Mark Sanchez. I, yeah, not, not Matt Barkley. Uh, Mark Sanchez. That makes more sense in terms of the timeline. Because, yeah, it was right after he had left. And Matt Barkley, uh, Matt Barkley's our class, I think. Yeah, so yeah, Matt, it was Mark Sanchez. But yeah, that was a regional one. I want to go from 2002, that game, to 2009. I feel like that's a good time frame to use. So okay. all the all the games, all rosters, uh, all, so many all players, players, so many players involved there. All players eligible between the years of 02 and 09, if they were in any of the games. I think 09 was the first PlayStation 3 one. 08 was on both because I had I had them all on PlayStation 2. 08, I remember the Jared Zabransky one was the last one I had on the PlayStation 2 because that was the year after they beat Oklahoma. After that, 09 was the PS3 joint. So, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that next episode. Let's do our all-time NCAA football video game player draft. We'll just go... You want to go snake, snake round, snake draft style? So, like, you, me, me, you, you, like that, back and forth style? Or okay. you want to just, because I feel like that way we can, we can, uh, right, as opposed to tip for tap. Go faster. Yeah. It'll go faster, we go, too. We go, yeah. yeah, it'll go faster, back to back picks. 
Um, so yeah, we'll do that. We'll are we do drafting? That we'll are do... we drafting rosters? Are we drafting best players? Um, I would say let's draft. Let's try to draft. So we could do it that way. We could do eleven. Uh, or maybe it's like skill position players or something. I don't know. Yeah, I was like, are we gonna do linemen? Really? Yeah, I guess we could do. We could do. Man, Jake Long was really, really a beast. Yeah, I was gonna say Robert, <laughs> Robert, Robert, Robert Gallery on Iowa could not, <laughs> could not, you could not beat him off the line. Um, we could, we could maybe do just like we could pick the number of rounds and just you know, regardless of position, like we're not actually fielding yeah. a team, so maybe just our twelve, you know, twelve favorite. We're probably not gonna pick twelve quarterbacks or whatever but just like yeah i think we maybe just set a round number we'll determine that and then do that next yeah i like that i like that next round next next episode we will do that uh i'm watching the hbcu uh like senior bowl celebration bowl uh live from new orleans yeah live from new orleans so bands on the field right now we got a couple of pro prospects out here so keeping an eye on that we'll have combine stuff draft stuff spring football stuff <laughs> Um, but yeah, we will, um, I'm glad we finally got to this episode because things are finally yep. happening. Things are finally happening also. And it was only going to get more convoluted there. So I'm glad we got it. It's also making it. me think it could be beneficial to do some kind of deep dive into, um, like what players are doing. I was thinking about like talking more about Ed O'Bannon, mm-hmm. talking about what Missouri did. Yeah. Um, years ago, talk about, um, Northwestern's attempt to unionize. Like yeah, those the, also could be the, the Ivy League valuable too. part of this conversation. The mm-hmm. Ivy League yep. too, yep. Yeah, the Ivy League for the independents or for non-state schools. Um, yeah, no, we we definitely there. There's a lot more, like you said. There's so much to unpack. So we will definitely, I'm sure, circle back to it. But I want to do some drafts in the off season. I want to do some light stuff. Plus, we can shorten the episodes. This was a longer one. Uh, but we will holler at y'all next week. The world of college football never, never, never stops. Um, Steve Sarkeesian getting getting bonuses in the offseason for doing or getting getting raises in the offseason just for being Steve Sarkeesian. Peace. There is absolutely no threat of him <laughs> leaving and yeah, he's, he's getting he's, paid anyway. He's, he's <laughs> like he they, he didn't go to Alabama and they're just like, just in case you ever think about going anywhere, here's here's a little bit more incentive money. Uh but we'll holler at y'all next week. We will do the draft. I can't wait. I love drafts. I'm gonna get my big board out now. Gotta gotta get my Got to start doing the research now. I need a week's worth of research at least for this. It's going to be good. All right, y'all. Peace. All right, peace.